Thanks to the two Johnnies, it's Tuesday the 6th of December and you're listening to Game On. Morocco have just spent, sent Spain home from the World Cup after a dramatic penalty shootout in Qatar. Brazil cruised through last night to book a place in the quarterfinals against Croatia and in breaking news, Fernando Santos, the Portuguese manager, has dropped Cristiano Ronaldo for, tonight, for tonight's final last 16 game versus Switzerland. Alan Cawley and Mark Langdon will join us in studio to trash all of that out. It is all drama and Alan Cawley is just walking into studio now. Um, in other news, Eddie Jones was sacked by England earlier today. Michael Corcoran will join us with the latest. Plus, Ireland's seven star Amy Lee Murphy-Crow will talk to us about the upcoming Cape Town 7s. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FN. Game on on 2FN. Alan Colley has just strolled in the door now after commentating on what is one of the most dramatic finishes anyway to uh, to a, a World Cup game, Alan. It was penalties, not really what a lot of people expected to see Spain crashing out at this stage. No, can I catch my breath just for a couple you of minutes? You can have a minute or two, Marie, Alan. Um, yeah. I'm after running over, but it was... Um, yeah, so dramatic, so tense, so nervy towards the end. But Morocco, who were absolutely fantastic all afternoon, um, put up a kind of defensive rearguard action, kept Spain at bay all afternoon. Spain were poor, to be honest, Marie. They didn't do enough to try and break them down. There was one chance in the first half, Asensio, a ball over the top. Everything else apart from that was all in front of Morocco. And they kept them at bay pretty comfortably put in so much effort went into extra time something similar made the substitutions just to give them a bit of fresh impetus and energy and then got themselves to the penalty shootout and held their nerve and the keeper Bono who was absolutely fantastic <laughs> he'll be singing tonight Bono you can tell you I'll tell you that much we'll give you a second so to catch your breath and we will do our competition because it's definitely one that I think you would like to win Al you can't enter though but um, it's a good one the overlap the Sky Sports YouTube channel featuring Roy Keane Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher have announced their very first Irish live show in the Three Arena on the 23rd of March next year. The trio will lift the lid on their celebrated playing careers as well as delve deep into today's hottest sporting issues and field questions from the audience. You can expect insightful opinions and more than the odd heated exchange as well. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10am and we want to give you the chance to win a pair of tickets every day this week. And all you have to do is answer the following question. Which overlap pundit spent his entire playing career at Manchester United. Simply text your answer to 51552 and make sure to include your full name, county and email address in your text. As always competition terms and conditions apply you see 2fm.ie that means you and me, Alan Colley, cannot. <laughs> I think we should go along anyway, me and you, Ruby. I, I, agree. I, I think we should put you up on the stage with them, yeah. <laughs> well, that'll be the entertainment Marie, That's the future. <laughs> we'll do our own overlap. You overlap with the overlaps. <laughs> uh, Ruby will be quoting his uh, favourite stats pieces. Did you see the stats in this game, Ruby? Oh, I, I, the first thing I looked at, I said, <laughs> Ruby's going to come straight for me when he Spain's sees these stats. Spain's possession, 77%. Morocco, 23%. Spain's shots, 13 shots, only one on target. Morocco, six shots, two on target. Whatever Spain's passes. What about Spain's shots? Of course they had all the passes if they had the possession. 1,019. Morocco, yeah. 304. See, it's easy to pass it from centre-back to centre-back to corner-back, back to the centre-back, but that doesn't win you a game, Alan Colley, does it? No, and you're 100% right, Ruby. It was going over and back. I'd say five or 600 of them passes were all on the halfway line, mm. all in front of Morocco, never penetrated them, never got in behind, barred that one opportunity in the first half with Asensio. And that's easy enough to defend. Obviously, they put so much effort in terms of kind of... Um, 
how how disciplined they were and organised and mentally that's draining as well to, to remain focused and concentrated for so long but once that ball is in front of you it is much easier to defend and balls going down the side of you or over the top of you and you're 100% right Ruby but the one thing they did have compares to you look at the game with Costa Rica where it was total domination for Spain similar stats like that and obviously got the goals whereas today you always felt that Morocco were in the match that was their plan from the outset to sit in and be well organised and well disciplined and when they won it they were capable of building a few passes together or catching them on the counter attack particularly with ZH on the left and um who was it on the right? Actually gone out of my head, but there were it was H, sorry, on the right and Buffal on the left and that's where they posed a real threat and every time they got forward like you mentioned there they had two shots on target and six attempts they actually looked dangerous when they were able to break out when they turned the ball over so they were absolutely brilliant Morocco Spain will be going home uh, with their tail between their legs really because I'm sure Enrique was looking at they were they came in with such high hopes mm-hmm. I felt they were my tip from the outside they, they were real contenders but they just didn't do enough today How many players have come on a pitch Alan had two kicks of the ball and hit both posts and not scored? Yeah, that's we just said that afterwards. That'll be a good quiz question because Sarabia, and he was brought on, obviously, to take the penalty, mm-hmm. bringing him on in the 119th minute or whatever. But because there was three minutes injury time, he finds himself in a position at the back post. A great chance, a tough chance, but a good chance. And does quite well to hit it across the far post, but hits the post. And as you rightly say, Ruby, steps up in the shootout, first penalty, hits the post so that'll be a good quiz question in a few years to come um, you did in fairness give Morocco a lot of credit um, over the last couple of weeks as well mm. and I suppose from listening to you Al it was clear that a lot of people probably underestimated the quality that they have as well because they do have good players absolutely Marie yeah. and I felt like if we were to go through I've almost split this tournament up in two halves now so the first two weeks was all about the romance and the stories and the surprises and, and they've been absolutely brilliant for the tournament and for us tuning in as, as, as neutrals and as a as well but I'm at the stage now and I said this to you yesterday Marie I'm at the stage now where I want the big boys facing off against each other and we'll get that now in the quarterfinals but this was the one fixture of a team who would come out of the group as a bit of a surprise package that I thought will cause real problems to one of the fancy teams um, and that is Morocco against Spain I always felt that today because as you say they were so impressive in their group stage mm-hmm. they came through a group with Croatia Belgium and so that wouldn't have phased them today having so little possession they're quite happy to sit in and soak up a lot of possession be well disciplined well organised and then try to hit teams on the counter and because of those reasons I always felt that's why they caused Spain problems so people probably were wrong to underestimate them and have proved that today the only worry now I have for them Marie is there was bodies going down left right and centre I think it was Shea Given and I'd love to hear Ruby's thought on this or yourself as well Marie Shea said yesterday in after the match when it went to extra time that because the tournament is so condensed into a month and you're playing every three or four days and you have very little recovery time especially when you expend so much energy and the likes of Morocco who did so much running today there was bodies going down left, right and centre in extra time and now two or three of them will probably miss the game plus they won't have the same energy levels for the next game so it's just an interesting question and I mentioned it there in commentary should we go straight to a penalty mm-hmm. shootout rather than have extra time and it's not like they're one of those countries like Brazil who can rest 11 players for a game and bring on another 11. They're not, but does that mean that the best squad is going to win the World Cup? And should that be the way it is? No? I, I, I did read Shea Given's comments this morning and thought, yeah, it obviously makes a lot of sense, but is it the, the country with the best squad that are going to win rather than the best first 11? 
Well, with the current setup, you would think that, as, as Marie rightly said, because they were obviously the likes of the teams that were able to rest players had their six points on the board, so they got a few days off and, and good luck to them. Um, that's what they earned, I suppose. But the likes of Morocco, who, as I said, the effort to put in Roman Sice, who was brilliant, the big centre half, at one stage he pulled up an extra time and I says, oh, he's gone. He goes off the pitch, like the Mick McCarthy moment, starts strapping up his leg rather than his head and he's hobbling back on and he plays Omri. And you're thinking, there's no way he can appear again now in three days like the poor fella but there he was being an absolute warrior for his country brilliant stuff but I think it's an interesting one because it's so condensed and because the players are playing so much mm-hmm. football now just go straight to penalties well it's not going to be that way it is It is what it is Mark mm-hmm. Langdon is with us now on the line as well Mark there was some questions about, about Spain maybe before this tournament and as it started to develop and the number nine position was one of them and the leadership as well and whether they had those players that could I guess look, grab the game by the scruff of the neck when it, it needed to be grabbed and they didn't seem to have them today No I think this was always the, the the sort of danger for Spain really coming in to the tournament is what happens when the team is able to sit in against them have they got the um, sort of uh, enough in that final third to be able um, to take advantage. I think it was only one shot on target in the 120 minutes. They didn't have many on target in the penalty shootout either. It was um, it, it, it wasn't good enough for them. Um, you know, just in, in those really decisive moments, they, they're great in kind of the middle third of, of the pitch, and they they can move the ball um, very smoothly. But they they quite often need teams to almost come at them uh, and then they're able to kind of you know hit on the break in that you know it was the open game wasn't it against Germany and they you know, fully played their part in that they actually played their best football in the last Euros in their hardest game against Italy and you know they've they just under Luis Enrique they've just been sort of taken to extra time and penalties too often and you know it just makes it a you know a 50-50 game once you get to penalties and um, you know that was always always going to be you know the reason one of the reasons I didn't think they would win um, this World Cup was because um, you know they only really had Morata as a number nine Luis Enrique didn't trust him fully anyway even though he was scoring goals feels like they're probably a better team when he doesn't play but when he doesn't play they haven't got that threat in the penalty box so it's catch 22 for them it's still a young team in, in many parts and you know I'm sure they will be better um, come the next Euros and come the next World Cup but until they find somebody that's got that kind of, you know, the, the predator instincts in, in the, the penalty area, they always run the risk of, of being taken to penalties in a game like this. Alan, when you watched Luis Enrique sat in the dugout for the penalty shootout, almost emotionless, and then watched his players take penalties like they too were just strolling around, did one almost feel like it bounced off the other? Yeah, well, that's what irritated me the most, Ruby, in the commentary was, and I've said this not just about Spain today, but anyone or any time I see it, the walk-up now that you see with a lot of players taking penalties and almost strolling up to the ball and the hesitation and doing a little jig, no conviction about it whatsoever. And that was certainly it today with the, the Spanish players. You look at Soler who missed even Busquets, a kind of stuttery run-up. Whereas you look at the lads that go up with a bit of conviction, pick your spot and bang Ziyech in particular. Now, we went straight down the middle. But there was so much kind of conviction in what he was doing and the fact that he was going up. He had a spot picked and bang, he was going to hit it. And He was putting the ball and the keeper in the net. He, exactly. <laughs> and you see what it means to him afterwards as well, Ruby, in terms of the determination. And that was indicative of what we saw all day, I suppose, with them 
Moroccans that played with their heart on their sleeve and he's one as well I even mentioned it in commentary he's one who comes across as a bit sulky and surly you see him at club level with Chelsea in and out of the team but today his attitude was absolutely fantastic he was up and down all day helping Hakimi on that right hand side and when it came to the penalty stood up and tucked it away as well but that really frustrated me about the, the Spanish penalties and maybe yeah in, in linking it together to Enrique just sitting motionless on the sideline as well um, but but I would agree with Mark in the, in the fact that they are quite young and I think think they're a coming team but they definitely need to come to get a centre forward because that's been a major problem for them and he has no belief or, or no conviction about Morata either he came on and did okay but if he was at the level that you'd want him to be at he'd be starting the matches he wouldn't be playing a winger up top as they've done with Asensio in this tournament Mark I didn't realise Hakimi was Spanish born I knew he'd been through Real Madrid on, until today Um and even sore one really for them when he was the one to score that decisive spot kick. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Born in Madrid, um, you know, came through the Real Madrid Academy. I think he was frustrated that he didn't get his opportunities at Real Madrid. Still friends with 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 a number of kind of that um kind of young generation that all came through together, um, went off to Borussia Dortmund and, and he was Inter and you know, he's now, now at Paris Saint-Germain doing um, you know, wonderful things for them. A very talented player. I mean, he also um, you know, took liberties with, with his spot kick and it was very uh, casual. Uh, there, there may well have been something in that for him. It would, it would have been a, a really big moment um, you know, to, to beat Spain. But the way that the, the kind of crowd support that Morocco have got, and uh, you know, it's a long way from um, from Qatar, but it will feel like home um, to them. And you know, they're the underdogs in the quarterfinals, but they've got talent in Ziyech and Akimi, and you know, they're basically got a whole stadium behind them as well. So you know, and Spain didn't do well with their penalty shootouts, but uh, kicks, but it it, like, it would have felt like an away game um, for sure inside that stadium. Whoever comes through against Portugal or Switzerland. And despite the tiredness, they're not in for an easy game against Morocco. They're a tough team to put away. Alan, just behind your head, there was shots of the Morocco counter attack, and just watching it and how much they're lacking technically, but they're just impacting the game so much more. And just to compare it to what Spain were able to do with the ball, but it didn't really matter in the end. Yeah, and that's. Um I suppose a skill in itself Marie and the fact that that was the game plan they were mm-hmm. happy to sit in you look at the shape of the team there was uh, the back four then they had the five sitting in front of them Ziyech would tuck in Bufal on the wings and you had the three in the centre with Amrabat and Nui who was absolutely fantastic he's only 22 I think he's playing in France with Angers but certainly for the likes of a player like that putting yourself in the shop window his energy level was phenomenal and he also had the presence of mind late in the day Marie with a lovely passage of play on the wing to play a lovely pass to Chidera and he should have scored it the two best chances of the game you mentioned the, the counter attack and that one near the end with Chidera and I'm swinging in the comment shouting in the contract <laughs> just swing your left foot at it because he's, he's running away from Rodri and as the ga- as the space is closing down it falls on his left foot but he's obviously very w- right footed and he doesn't want to take the shot with his left foot and I'm thinking just swing your left foot at it there's a quarter final at stake here but they pose the biggest threat like for all 
go back to Ruby's point about the possession for all the ball they had passing it over and back sideways backways yet when it came to the game plan of Morocco it worked a treat in terms of sitting in being very well organised very well disciplined Amrabat was outstanding as well kind of shielding that back four and then when it came to the chances to counter attack they were brilliant and again had they a proper centre forward because I felt El Nezri was poor in the game and they brought Shadira on and when he came on he had two brilliant chances should have scored something similar to what we've seen with Richarlison last night his goal where he t- takes it in a stride his first touch and pass passes into the corner with his left foot Chidera should have done that um, but yeah they're good value for him I just worry for them I know what Mark is saying in terms of the next match and I would agree on a fresh day but the amount of energy they've expended now I'd worry for them in the next game in terms of progressing Speaking of next games Marks, that was obviously the game we had today but last night in 36 minutes Brazil flexed their muscles and were four up did we see the winners? I think we've seen the best team. Um, best team doesn't always win the World Cup because, as you know, as you see, we're in sort of football on a almost weekly basis. You know, um, things things can go wrong. They are, I think, the best team. I would say that South Korea set up in just a, a crazy way um, to be that attacking and that open um, when you're that limited. Um, in, in all fairness to them, uh, was was just not the right way to approach the game to allow Neymar, Vinicius, Richarlison, and the rest of the, the Brazilian gang that much space. Just is not the way um, to beat Brazil. I think if they're to be beaten, it will be by a team that sits in, um, defends well, and then hits them on the counter attack. But in full flow. Um, absolutely loved watching them and it wasn't it wasn't just about Neymar and I think coming into the tournament it, it felt like it was all about Neymar but Vinicius Junior on that left hand side you know is really developing in, into something special I think for Real Madrid and Brazil Richarlison maybe haven't seen the best of him um, yet at, at Tottenham in, in, since he's moved from Everton but playing as that number nine worked so hard for the team makes great runs and it, it is finishing the, the chances off and I still think there's more to come from Rafinha and, and Pakatar as well so it does look very good but I still would not necessarily think yeah they're definitely going to um, come through that semi-final against Argentina or Netherlands or even the final you know if it's France if it's England um, or what one of the other teams you know Morocco uh, Portugal Switzerland I still think that yeah th- there's enough there to trouble Brazil but they are the best team yeah f- for sure well, I got the feeling listening to, to listening to you today that you really enjoyed the Brazilian celebrations when they scored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love a dance myself, Ruby, but that's in a nightclub at maybe half ten at night, <laughs> not on the pitch after only beating South Korea in the round of sixteen. So it it irritated me a little bit. I don't mind the first one where we're having the little dance, but three or four nil up against South Korea and then running out to the manager and he's getting involved in it as well I didn't like that I have to say and there was a bit of kind of arrogance about it and I know to have a swagger and I've no problem with that but do it in the right way if you're beating a France in a semi-final or in England in the final or whatever the case may be dance till your heart is content then um, but I just felt last night it was a bit much for me especially and I would agree with Mark on the sense that South Korea, you look at the way Morocco set up today and how disciplined and well-organised they were. They were so open, South Korea, to be 2-0 down after 15 minutes and game over and you're out of the game without even having a chance. Um, I thought it was madness from them. So I wouldn't get too carried away yet with the Brazil steam train, but they did look impressive in the first half. Ruby, as a former elite sports person, did you mind the dancing? Did I mind the dancing? Uh, no, but I think there's a way to win, uh, like there is a way to lose, Marie. And um, 
you know, and a couple of times I've watched Messi during the tournament and I was hoping the cameras would go back to him after a game. Um, even watching Lewandowski trying to shake his hand at one stage during the game against Poland and I was going back to see how he reacted after the game. Did he win with dignity? Did he lose with dignity? I think that's a big part of sport and I was never into rubbing it in someone's face. So I kind of agree with, with, with Alan as well. But what did you think, Alan? I, 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 to me, there's a way of winning and losing. 100%. Absolutely, Ruby. Um, I didn't mind it, lads. I just think it's kind of part of their personality. And The first dance, definitely, yeah. I agree with you. And it was funny to watch. You're thinking, this is a great team and they're bonding together. But like when you get falling up and you're hocking someone, yeah. to me, then you have to have a little but bit of pity on them. That's kind of name we're all over, though, isn't it? Like but that's, that's the problem with him. That's why he's so marmite. I've no time for him. I never had for those reasons. And Ruby's after using the example of one of the best players, if not the best we've ever seen. And look how he wins and the way he carries himself, win, lose or draw. So I would be, it did it did really annoy me. And then running out to the manager, I'd, and if I was the manager, I'd be saying, what, get, on, get back on the pitch, what are you running out to me for? Do your stuff on the pitch and we can sing and dance in the dressing room or back in the hotel or wherever you want to dance. But 4-0 up against South Korea, it just, it wasn't for me. I didn't like it at all, I have to say. Um, and, and it's still only around the 16 against South Korea. They've played nobody yet. <laughs> you sound like Roy Keane. And I'm sorry, but it just it did. Maybe I'm sounding <laughs> well, yeah, old and grumpy. Yeah, I'm on the overlap. <laughs> uh, okay, let's take a very quick break. I've uh, just seen uh, shots of Cristiano Ronaldo walking into Can the dressing room. Can you imagine the puss on him? Yeah, well, I'm telling you, it's exactly as you'd uh, as you'd expect it. It's, it's like Alan Cawley now in Brazil were dancing for the fourth goal around like that. Why is he not playing? No. No, he's no, not. Oh, I no, didn't know. You were, on, you were on air when the news was coming through. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, Mark, we will be chatting to you a little bit later on when we are looking ahead to that Portugal-Switzerland game. Um, Alan, stay with us as well. Um, Next, we have Michael Corkin sitting, waiting patiently to talk to us about Eddie Jones. We'll be back shortly. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. I'm delighted to say that Michael Corkin is with us here in studio. Michael, the news today, the news that a lot of people were... Not expecting, I think it's fair to say, that uh, Eddie Jones would not be continuing on in his role as England manager. Um, it, it, um, it came not really as a surprise. The surprise is that there was no surprise. That's the reality about it. Um, maybe the timing of it was the was the issue, but uh, certainly there's a lot of discontent in terms of... Um, you know the rugby football union and the way the last uh, the last while has gone um, for them. Um, he was up for review. It's normally just a formality, uh, but the situation is that uh, it became more than a formality. Obviously, um, there was a lot of uh, discontent uh, amongst the rugby football union people, and um, basically they decided that he was out the gap. How did it play out? Like, was it a case that he knew yesterday, the players knew? When did it all start? Uh, what happened is the, the, the Rugby Football Union appointed a group of people to look at the whole scenario in terms of, um, um, you know, whether whether he should continue or otherwise. Uh, so they canvassed um, the players and um, canvassed the players and had a chat with him as well at um, the same time. Um, and uh, he was in for a review yesterday. And then decided to just bring all the information together. And basically, I think, to use the soccer phrase, I think he lost the dressing room. And that's the reality about it. And um, they decided to move him on. It's obviously England's worst run since 2008. But look, they had a great time with Eddie Jones. He's gone. The Six Nations is coming. <laughs> mm. Who's next? Steve Borthwick. He'll be the man. Um, he'll be the man in. And I think he'll do a really good job. Um, just to go back to the Ruby, just to go back to the Eddie Jones thing. At the number of people, backroom staff, medical people 
physios, video analysts, defence coaches, assistant coaches uh, that he has gone through in the last seven years has been um, in charge has been abs- is, is absolutely frightening. It's staggering the number of people that have left under his watch. Um, so that's that's one of the big issues as well. An easy um, man to work with by the sounds of it. Pardon? An easy man to work with by the sounds of it. Uh, well, I mean, there was I read somewhere last week that um, somebody started a new role in October and by the end of November they were gone. You know, I mean, I had I had a I had a conversation with um, Dave Rogers, the photographer, when I was out in South Africa on the Lions tour the summer the summer before last, and that was like that's a year and a bit ago now at this stage, and my jaw was dropping. You know, when he when he went through the numbers and the names of the people who I knew who had been involved with England, who had all moved on or been moved on by him, and um, that's one of that's 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 been one of the problems as well. I don't think England camp was enjoy enjoyable. Um, I I I'm I'm aware. I know one or two of the English players on, on a personal basis. I would, wouldn't name them, but uh, one of them said to me that England camp is now just not enjoyable at all. And that was ahead of what was happening in November before those uh, before those matches were played. So it doesn't really come as a surprise. But um, to go back to the original question, Steve Borthwick of um, Leicester will be will be the England coach. I expect that will be confirmed by the end of this week. Um, it's a timing issue then because he's obviously in charge of uh, Leicester Tigers at the moment. They're in European action this weekend. They have a domestic season to finish through yet. So what does he try to do? Does he try to combine both roles until the end of the season and see the season out with Leicester? Or does he pack it in with Leicester completely altogether and then take on board maybe the likes of Richard Corkrill, his old uh, Leicester uh, teammate and people like that? Uh, so that's something that needs to be ironed out um, you know, in the coming days. But I expect that uh, Steve Borthwick, who you know, is a former England captain, um, has been involved with Leicester has transformed them they won the um, English Premiership last year they were bottom of the table when he took over uh, the year before last as former Saracens captain so he's a lot of leadership um, qualities uh, is a young man and and will command the dressing room I mean when he speaks he's, he's coach of the British and Irish Lions as well when he speaks everybody listens he's one of those big tall I've tried to interview him I've interviewed him he's six six kind of thing uh, but he's a towering presence really and um, I, I think um, I, I think he's a, he's um, he's a good man for them. I would per- personally, from an Irish point of view, would have been delighted if Eddie Jones stayed on <laughs> for the uh, course of the Six Nations, but that's obviously not going to happen now. In your capacity as a journalist, Michael, did you have any interactions with Eddie Jones? Yeah, I had a few. Yeah, um, I did have a few actually. Yeah, I met him um, when he was involved with Australia, and he came here. I was doing um, a Leinster match in the old. Um, uh, Donnybrook Stadium down down the way there when um, when Alan Gaffney was involved and he was quite friendly with him and he introduced me to him um, and we had a very good chat actually at half time and indeed after the match was very inquisitive as to how we did our how we how we did our role and what it involved and the whole thing or whatever and um, then I saw him about a week and a half later and he walked past me and blanked me completely as if he'd never seen me before in his <laughs> life. So, I mean, that's the kind of fella that he was, to be fair. And I'm not trying to kick him as he's fallen down the ladder, basically. But um, he's just one of those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, he was controversial at times, um, even disparaging in some of his remarks, um, you, uh, you know, against Ireland when he was ta- talking freely at a thing in Hong Kong a couple of years back before a Six Nations Championship and that unfortunately for him was recorded on video um, and was shown to quite a few people and he ended up apologising over that basically but um, I mean he'll resurface as far as he's concerned he's bulletproof and will continue going until he takes his, uh, his final breath there was a a, um, suggestion a couple of weeks back that he was going to take over uh, the USA 
after um, after the World Cup. Well, he can take it over now if he wants because they obviously haven't qualified mm-hmm. for the World Cup. Um, and, uh, you know, there, is, there was a possibility he was going to get an eight-year deal with the USA to take over there. Speaking of bulletproof, Wales have gone back to the one man they deemed to be bulletproof, <laughs> and that's Warren Gatland. Yeah, it's that's a very interesting one, um, Ruby. I saw somebody compare it to Ronaldo going back to Manchester United. I mean, <laughs> should that have happened? <laughs> so, is this a step too far for Warren Gatland? Now, I know, I know Warren Gatland personally uh, on on a really strong level. He's a really, really nice guy. I know he enjoys Christmas, but his idea of Christmas is on the beach back in New Zealand, not. And the beach somewhere outside, um, you know, uh, Clinetley or, or um, Swansea or somewhere like that. So he's going to come across. He doesn't have a whole heap of time. Neither does Steve Bartwick, by the way. Uh, they don't have an awful lot of time uh, to get themselves ready for, like, A, the Six Nations, which is only five games for their team. Um, and then a few World Cup warm-up matches, and all of a sudden they're off to um, to France for the World Cup next year. But, I mean, it's a mouth-watering prospect. Ireland's opening game in the Six Nations Championship away to Wales at the Millennium Stadium, at the Principality Stadium, I think it's called now, uh, next year. And Warren Gatlin certainly will have Wales all wound up um, for that one, certainly. Um, and we'll be hoping to start off his campaign. He's got to try and turn a, a tanker around in a very short space of time. It's like the managerial merry-go-round at the moment. It is. It's kind of unusual. I mean, somebody said to me last night, is, is rugby becoming the new soccer, you know, mm-hmm. given the fact that when PVAC was gone and Eddie Jones today. But there were two problematic areas. I mean, a lot of questions about, um, about Ian Foster as the New Zealand coach as well during, during the, the, the last couple of months. So New Zealand have, have kind of bit the bullet and decided to keep him, bring in Joe Schmidt for the help out there, sacked two of their assistant coaches. So it has gone that way a bit. But I mean... Um, you know, from a commercial income point of view, um, the RFU will feel that England need to be successful. Uh, Wales feel, feel they need to do something as well because they've had a horrific 12 months. I mean, if you look at the URC table uh, before last um, weekend, uh, I, I think Wales, Wales or Welsh clubs occupied three of the last five positions. So from that point of view, you know, the, the game is not going well at uh, club level and that has transferred up the, up the way to international level too. So no surprise Gatti is back. Uh, go back to plan B, whatever that happens to be in terms of bringing him in. And um, I mean, he's got, a, he's, got, um, he's got the Midas touch. He's, he's a superb coach. Um, is a serial winner and Wales will be hoping that he can re- recreate some of that magic again next year. And further afield, our own Ronan Agara has been tied down by La Rochelle. Yeah, um, I think that's a great move for him really. I mean, he's um, he's a guy who uh, who has obviously come through the ranks and has shown that he's he's not afraid to move to, you know, whether it was Racing in Paris or off to Christchurch for the Crusaders. Come back, he's backed himself. You know, they won the uh, Champions Cup last year. He's still learning on the job, you know, and it's it's incredible to see a fella at that young age uh, as a coach being linked to, um, you know, international jobs, really. I mean, like, he's completely inexperienced from that point of view. Uh, but the fact that he's, you know, been tied down until 2027 um, at uh, La Rochelle is a really good thing for him. It provides a massive financial f- future for himself, Jess, and the family, the kids. They really love it over in that part of um, France. It's a, it's a good learning curve from his point of view. And I think, you know, provided he lasts the course there, which I think he will, he's then in a prime position to, you know, see what he wants mm-hmm. to do after that. 2027 is another Rugby World Cup cycle. He could be the Ireland coach. He could very well be the French coach who knows Ruby's looking at me here knowingly you know himself and Roger are really good friends I feel like he, he, he knows something He's, he, he wants to tell us but he can't 
I'm Manuel. I know nothing. Not <laughs> <laughs> so sure about that, Ruby, to be yeah, fair. Exactly. Yeah. He just wouldn't tell us, Michael. That's the problem. He's way too clever for that. Um, thank you for coming in. No worries at all. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Good to see you. Yeah, take we're going to take a very quick break. Uh, Emily Murphy Crow is coming up shortly. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Well, we will be talking to Alan Cawley again very shortly about Ronaldo and how disappointed he looks to not be playing in tonight's game against Switzerland. But before we get to that, uh, Ruby, last night the HRI awards were on. I didn't make it myself, unfortunately. I would like to have gone. Um, they've given you all the awards now, I'd say, at this stage. The Hall of Fame. You got that yet? There's nothing nothing for you. So, <laughs> so who wins Maria. now? <laughs> oh, thanks, Maria. Thanks. There was a 20th HRI you. awards last night and the contribution to the industry award went to JP McManus, who was a very yeah. fitting winner of that. The 19-time champion national hunt owner in the country. Horses like Isterbrack synchronised. Mr. Donovan, Jack of Trumps and Deep Gale. They just go backwards and backwards. Um, Kevin Manning won the Irish Racing Hero Award. He obviously retired this year after a 40-year career. What an incredible career he had. He was champion apprentice, of course, in 1984. And in 87, he wrote 36 Group 1 winners and was kind enough to come on the air the day that he did retire. No surprise that Honeysuckle won Horse of the Year. The votes were in before last Sunday, <laughs> so she was guaranteed to win that, whatever happened. Uh, the emerging talent went to a very talented young man from the north called Sam Ewing, who wrote but, uh, a quite a remarkable treble in early October. He'd a winner in Dundalk on a Friday night on, on the flat, went to Chepstow on Saturday and rode a winner over fences and then won the Welsh Champion Hurdle on a Sunday at Foss Last. So he's a star of the future. Henry Bromhead won the National Hunt Award. He became the first trainer since Vincent O'Brien in the 60s, I think it was the 60s, to train back-to-back Cheltenham Gold Cup and Champion Hurdle winners. John Handlon, John the Shark Handlon won the National Hunt Achievement Award for what he did with Hewick, winning the bet 365, the Galway Plate and, of course, the American Grand National. Um, after that then Liz Lawler won the point to point award because she uh, became the winning most female lady point to point rider of all time when she beat Helen Bryce Smith's long standing record to get to 110 winners um, Billy Lee won the flat award he wasn't quite champion jockey but he did enjoy a couple of big wins through the year on Le Petit Coco and Pearls Galore and he pushed uh, Colin Keane all the way to the end of the season and um, I think that was about it really Honeysuckle Sam Ewing Henry Shark Liz Dollar Billy Lee yeah they're all oh Wayne Lord he won ride of the year um, for his ride on Waterville in the Irish Cesar which was uh, an incredible ride too come from last to first in the big flat handicap of the Curra and Dylan Brown McMonagall one day outstanding flat award a young man with a huge huge future he's a name that'll be in lights like Frankie Notori's in years to come you mentioned Honeysuckle there and we spoke to Jane about her last night and she just said that she went out on her her shield uh, what did you think? Yeah look she what do I think I think looking at it uh, frankly or realistically through form I think she probably ran the same race that she has run the last two years in Ferryhouse. She beat Ronald Pump in 2020 and 2021. I think the opposition was a bit stronger this year. I think she's probably run to the same standard. Just Tihupu and Classical Dream are better horses than Ronald Pump. And, and they were able for her on Sunday. I think she will improve for it. And I think she'll be hard to beat in the Irish Champion Hurdle in Dublin at the Dublin Racing Festival in February. Do I think she will beat Constitution Hill? I don't but I still think she's a great mare and um, she just ran into two horses that were better than her on Sunday but I think she'll bounce back. Okay, well I'll keep a note of that now when she does go up against Constitution Hill a bit like when Alan Cawley said Spain would win the World Cup. Now let's uh, turn our attention to... Well, I'm, I'm tipping a, a one to three shot in Constitution Hill. In fairness that poor Alan Cawley was trying to tip a ten to one shot in Spain. 
Right, rugby now um, again and we are delighted to be joined by Irish Women's Sevens player Amy Lee Murphy-Crow ahead of the Cape Town leg of the 2022-23 Sevens World Series which kicks off this Friday. Triton Lake are the proud title sponsors of the Irish Rugby Sevens team and they've launched season two of their podcast Triton Lake Perform. To listen and stay up to date with the Irish Rugby Sevens teams follow Triton Lake across Twitter and Instagram or visit tritonlake.com forward slash perform. Amy Lee, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, first of all, where in the world are you? I'm in Cape Town at the moment. Oh, very good. We, luckily. Yeah, lucky. Some winter sun. <laughs> uh, lucky for you. Um, it's been such a... Look, I always feel any time I'm talking to anyone playing seven that it's been a really hectic time. Does it feel like that when you're, when you're living it? Uh, no, not really. I really enjoy it and I really enjoy spending time with the, the girls and just travelling and playing rugby so it's it's pretty much a dream to be honest it may look hectic but it's actually not I agree with you it does look like a dream Dubai <laughs> last weekend Cape Town this weekend playing rugby living the life of a professional go, sports person <laughs> I'm sure they'd have you in the sevens no bother um, I probably wouldn't to tell you the god honest truth um, I could do plenty of giving out but I don't know how much how much used to be on the pitch but I'd be okay for the giving out part how fast you'd be I wasn't There's no, no I was ever that quick rugby, so. <laughs> yeah no we'll see we'll see look you, you had a great tournament in Dubai you finished sixth I think it was um, but but it was yeah. a good pipe opener for you you're looking to build on Dubai now in Cape Town yeah, absolutely. Um, we had a really good day one in Dubai, but unfortunately in sevens, that uh, doesn't really count for much. Um, it, e- it either gets you into a quarterfinal or it doesn't. So um, unfortunately, we lost a quarterfinal and that means you don't go top four. Um, but this week, we'll hope to build on what we did last week and improve on what we want to get right this weekend. You've a t- well, I don't know. Is it tough? You've got Japan, Uruguay on. You got Japan on Friday. That's the main. Sorry, you have Spain and South Africa on the Friday, and then Australia on the Saturday in 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 Cape Town this weekend. South Africa, Australia, they're probably tougher games in Spain, are they? Um, Spain and South Africa, we have them on Friday. They'll be quite tough games, all right. Um, Spain improved last weekend as the tournament went on, so we'll be um, doing our homework on them and making sure that we um, get the performance that we need um, and then again South Africa again we'll just um, keep focused on how uh, we'll get the right performance against them but then obviously on Saturday we get to play the world's best and you know it's a good challenge when you do get to play the world's best um, and yeah we've had quite um, a few tight games with them last season so it'll be a good one to start off this season um, with having a good performance against them I'm sure it will. It's in the DHL Stadium Friday evening. You play South Africa at sort of six thirty local time, six forty. It'll be a big crowd. It'll be a hugely atmospheric occasion, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were here three and a half months ago for the World Cup, so we know exactly what the crowds are like. Um, they're huge rugby fans compared to last weekend. Um, it was a bit different, but um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it and yeah, excited to to get out there now on Friday. You were one of the sports that was hit with when COVID um, came along just because there was so much travel involved and, and travel was so uncertain for such a long time. It must feel great to be, I guess, just moving in the right direction and, and having that normality back and being able to go in and do the sport that you love um, uninhibited. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, I had travelled for seven years um, on the like on the series and 
um, traveling to Europeans. So for me, not to do that was so strange. And to be just back home training um, every week in Ireland was very different. But I suppose at the time it was the right thing to do. And then coming back to it last season, um, it was just so enjoyable to be back doing what we love doing. So obviously you travel from Dubai this week. The men's team are on the same schedule as he. Do you travel together? Would you would you train together, or are you completely two separate identities? I know you are as teams. For, but this, for this tournament, the boys travelled on Saturday night, and we travelled on Sunday night, just with the um, the flight schedules, I suppose. Um, but at home, there we're in the same high performance centre. Our schedules are quite closely run alongside, but. We don't train with them. Um, there might be a certain period in the year where that we might just do a run against them, but that's really it. Um, but yeah, there we are very close knit um, groups um, out there in HPC. It's not the biggest of places, so we know them quite well. I've seen you out there before. Actually, it must have been one of those times when you were together. I was I don't know what I was doing, but I was looking in anyway, and you were um, you were doing something there. Um, what's the the setup like in terms of how it's evolved over the last while, Amy? Because you've been in, involved for such a long time now, it feels like um, it feels like that's kind of hitting a new level now. Yeah, um, the high performance center is absolutely amazing. It's top class. Um, I've obviously come from. The program being not centralised, so coming up at the weekends, training um, out in DCU, staying in a hotel at night and then travelling back down to TIP and then having it centralised, training out in Lansdowne. Um, and now, obviously, they have high-performance centres out in Blanche where everything's there, like our pitches, our recovery rooms, our gym, our physio clinics, um, and most importantly, our chef, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is... The food's absolutely amazing out there. So, yeah, it's it's top of the range out there. Do you still get to do a lot of club rugby then, Amy? Um, no, but this season they released us for two games, which was really enjoyable. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed going back to railway playing. But um, when, with, this, with the Seven Series, we're just so busy. Um, mm. Obviously, the Seven Series at the moment is clashing with last weekend's semi-final yeah. and this weekend's AAL final. So... We don't get to play too much club rugby, no. That's a pity. But did you get to celebrate Bevan Parsons' 21st birthday? <laughs> we absolutely did, yeah. <laughs> um, she had a great time. She, They went and... I think they... Oh, yeah, they went on a, a little boat um, tour around the palm, so they really enjoyed it. But um, us crusty dusties just chilled out. Crusty Dusty's just still out. I like the way you said they, as in you were obviously weren't included <laughs> yeah. in this boat trip. They or we would uh, be well, the question. We, we were we were invited, but we just decided not to. All right, not so bad. Amy, yeah. all the best in no, Cape Town this they weekend. They wouldn't leave us out. They wouldn't leave you out. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, thanks a million for taking our call. Best of luck at the weekend in Cape Town. Um, have lots of fun Thank or try you. and have lots of fun anyway. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Alan Cawley has uh, finally processed the news that Ronaldo mm. isn't going to be playing. You caught me on the hop there, Indeed, Marie. Indeed, it's rare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, normally I'm always ready, Marie, but you caught me on the hop. I was making my way over, obviously, from uh, the previous match, and it was only when he came up on the screen and you said that he looks a bit sulky. Um, it's a, Is it a surprise? I think it's the right call. I do, do think it's the right call, yeah. And if it means I'm coming on for the last half an hour, 20 minutes to make an impact... 
I think it might suit him better. Obviously, he doesn't feel like that and he, he's never going to say that or admit it. But I think it's a brave call from the manager and I think it's the right call. Mark Langdon is with us as well. Mark, every time I've looked at the screen in the last, since seven o'clock, since the, the six o'clock, since the, the coverage started to, to appear on the screen, it's been Ronaldo. They are non-stop going to him. I'd say he's sick of them. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, like, he always grabs the attention, whether he's playing or not, when he was... Um, in, involved in the substitution or, um, in, in Portugal's last game. He was um, sulky. Um, it's caused issues, I think, within the Portuguese camp. Fernando Santos, the coach, has had to deal with Ronaldo questions sort of throughout um, you know, this World Cup. First, what happened with Manchester United, rumours now that he's got a, a deal with, with a Saudi club. Um, you know, him not being happy at substitutions, him thinking he scored goals when he uh, hasn't touched the ball. Um, it's become all about Ronaldo. I didn't think that um, Fernando Santos, the coach, had it in him actually to drop Ronaldo. He has um, never sort of been brave enough to make big calls previously and I think it's been to the detriment of the team so I do I agree with Alan I think this is the right call this is a game that could easily go 120 minutes um, as well so you know Ronaldo I think coming off the bench after 65-70 even though he won't see it that way could actually suit him and I, I do think at his age now it would actually benefit him to accept his role um, and he would actually I think still be playing at a, a, a high level of club if he accepted that he's not going to be starting every game and actually he could be this you know devastating finisher that comes on when defences are tired you know he only has to sort of run around for 20-25 minutes rather than 75-80 um, but of course he just doesn't see it um, like that the guy that's come in Gonzalo uh, Ramos is a, is a powerful forward that's had a breakthrough season with Benfica if you look at the way he's played uh, for Benfica in, in the league and in the Champions League this season compared to Ronaldo's performances for Manchester United you would say it's a no-brainer if Portugal go out there's only one person getting the blame and that will be the coach and he should have started Ronaldo um, but I do think it, it, it's the right decision not to start him Alan I think Portugal probably have the better quality here Bruno Fernandes Bernardo Silva even Joe Felix up front they have the players without Ronaldo to get the job done against Switzerland 100% Ruby and you could argue as, as, as myself and Mark are agreeing there that they're a better team without Ronaldo as well and it's almost goes back to the debate around Neymar as well with Brazil sometimes you can free up the others and the likes of Bruno or maybe João Felix who sometimes a lot of the time I'd say feel in Ronaldo's shadow that the shackles will be off them tonight and they could come out and put in a performance that maybe we haven't seen yet they have better players Ruby but I think Switzerland have better characters in terms of their discipline and their organisation and I think this will be a really tricky tie for Portugal I like the look of Switzerland they're always the team that kind of they're like a steady outfield player that you're getting 8 out of 10 every week from them you know exactly what you're getting from them in terms of their discipline how well organised they are uh, their attitude as well Jacques is obviously playing outstanding football probably the best of his career at Arsenal at the moment but defensively they're sound as well so I think this is a tricky tricky tie and to go back to the manager again it is a really brave call because as we know if they go out as Mark alluded to all the, point, all the blame will be pointed towards him but that takes courage as well to make that decision and in the best interests of obviously the team which is what he's there for I, I'd applaud him for that I think it's a great call Mark on paper this is a game that could produce plenty of goals it is, it is. I think as long as Portugal go with the attitude actually that 
you know, they've got a lot of talent in their team. Too often the coach Santos has been quite defensive in these bigger games and he, he waits for stuff to happen. He's very much a reactionary uh, coach and, you know, he, he would see it that, you know, if we just keep a clean sheet, the worst that happens is we go to penalties and they fancy themselves to win on penalties. I think the team that they've got is better than that. And I think that if they show the right attitude and get all of those forward players that we've been speaking about, sort of, you know, combining further up the pitch, then uh, they should beat Switzerland. But Switzerland are, I think, a, a just a team that are absolute nightmare to play against. You look at their results, they knocked France out of the last Euros, took Spain to penalties. They effectively, they played their part in knocking Italy out of this World Cup by topping their qualifying group. They will just always play to a certain level, even against Brazil when um, all the talent was in that Brazilian team. It took a late goal to beat them. So I wouldn't be surprised if this one went all the way um, to penalties. Another big call from the Portugal coach Santos is to um, get, to sort of take Cancelo out, out of the team as well. So he's really, uh, <laughs> having been so cautious for nearly his whole reign, he's suddenly decided he's going to make a, a couple of big calls. I would agree less with that one um, than the Cristiano Ronaldo one. Have Portugal really been tested much, Al? Not really, no, but um, I don't think they've been overly impressive either, to be honest with you, Marie. Like we, we saw that game against was a Ghana where they're two up and they let them get back into the game and then they got the late goal. But um, they haven't overly impressed me, but even to, to, to go back to Mark's point there, but Cancelo, that's a massive call. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be leaving him out, especially Diego Dallo has come in and I'm not mad on Dallo. I know he's kind of having a bit of a revival at Man United under the new manager. He's done okay this year, but I'm not gone on him at all. Cancelo's a fantastic player. So that's a brave call. Ruben Neves as well. All the names that we'd be familiar with, uh, but particularly Cancelo, that's a big call to leave him out. Rafael Leao as well, kind of came on the first game, got the goal, and um, should he have started him? It's big calls from the manager, but look, he's going he's gonna, to, you live and die by these decisions, Marie. And I would applaud him. I love a manager that makes brave calls. I hate to see a manager just going along with the kind of um, the, the norm just to keep a player happy or to keep fans or the media or whoever happy. <laughs> he's making calls that he believes in and, and all credit to him. He must have been annoyed, Mark um, Santos, with Ronaldo this week because he even said in the media that he was, which is a rare enough thing for a manager to do, especially when it comes to Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Again, that caught me by surprise because usually everybody just panders to Cristiano Ronaldo and you know tries to calm things down. Even if you go back to Eric Ten Hag when uh, Ronaldo refused to came on, come on against Tottenham, he actually didn't go after Ronaldo in, in that press conference. He left it a while. And I, I think that too many coaches um, through the years have, have just allowed Ronaldo to do whatever he wants. It was really interesting that one of the Portuguese newspapers did a poll um, on, on their website um, this week on whether Ronaldo should start. And, you know, you can always, I suppose you can always fix these polls and, you know, you, you can get groups of people go on. But um, in, in terms of the results, 70% of the Portuguese fans that voted wanted Ronaldo out of the team. And I can't remember, you know, even when he's had sort of quiet spells before, it would, you know, you wouldn't even get sort of 5% of people thinking that Ronaldo should be out of the team. So he's upset a lot of people, I think, in in um, recent months, but it would almost sort of feel just like Ronaldo to to come on and, and score a late winner and kind of <laughs> um, then for the next do a game. celebration <laughs> that uh, shuts everybody up. 
Um, Mark, Alan, thank you so much. That is all we have time for. We do have a winner, though, of the overlap, and the tickets go to Owen Dolan from Wicklow, who correctly said that Gary Neville is the overlap pundit who spent his entire playing career with Manchester United. So do tune in tomorrow because we will have another chance for you to win. Uh, Ruby, thank you so much as well for. Likewise, Marie. Uh, Enjoy the game. Yeah, I will do. Um, better get home for it now. Better De Silva is up next.